Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. I'm Becca Piastrelli, and this is Belonging, where I talk about what it means to belong to the earth, to yourself, to your ancestors, and in community. Hello and welcome back to Belonging. It's Becca Piastrelli here coming at you from the office slash guest room slash gym slash podcast studio slash apothecary slash meditation room. Do you have one of those rooms in your house? (laughs) The room of many purposes since relinquishing my old office for the babe's room. This is the new room I'm in and I'm still getting used to being in here and finding the way I can flow between all these activities and these pandemic days. I'm in this room all the time. I'm just feeling like, hmm, there may be a project in my future to make it a more delightful experience. I'm wondering, actually, this is so interesting that's coming up. I hit record and I see what comes. I'm wondering if we're all in this mood that happens, I think, this time of year, beginning of February here in the Northern Hemisphere, the quickening has begun, my ancestors, the Gaelic ancestors, the time of Imbolc, or Imbolc, this time of Candlemas, this time of the quickening, this time of hope, the return of the light. You're likely seeing and feeling more daylight hours, and it's, gosh, just the best feeling <laughs> to be like, oh, right, winter is on its way out. And spring is on its way in. And with that comes a desire. I, I will just speak for myself. A desire to, to tidy. <laughs> a desire to purge. A desire to Marie Kondo. This is a verb now, people say. this, And a desire in this multi-use room. I'm in most days. A desire to switch things up. And I actually went on a little bit of an Instagram story. Um... I'm not going to say rant because I wasn't very ranty, but I was filled with passion about things I was discovering in my own self 
around going around my house and organizing things and already finding baby clothes that are too small and packing them away and finding clothes that, you know, just don't work on my body anymore and wanting to file away things and clear out my office space and clean up my desk and all these things. And so I have all this stuff. I have all this stuff that I need to, quote, get rid of. And then I went down the rabbit hole of doing some research to find out that roughly 80% of what we donate majority is clothing is actually incinerated or buried in the earth, goes to the landfill. 80%. And I realized how many of us justify our like consumption habit with the idea that what is no longer of use to us can be, quote, donated. And that makes us feel so good because it's going to people who need it. And I just have had this like knowing, right, that, that this consumption cycle is so fast paced and the ability to buy things with the click of a button and just like the rapid way things are made in factories and fast fashion in general and movement of trends have made it so actually our appetite for new items is way, way more than the need for them secondhand. And... um I fall into the trap of like Instagram ads that tell me I need the latest baby item. I'm very heavily targeted with baby items, which feels like a betrayal of a sacred time. And it's very effective. Or, you know, we, uh, we get caught up in trends or we get, we get caught up and we want something new. And I'm not saying that that is bad, but my realization of my just like, oh, I'll, I'll drop things off at the local Goodwill. And I started noticing that the local Goodwill drop-offs like became dumping grounds, particularly during this pandemic times, like just clothes on the side of the street and just people just dumping their things and maybe trying to convince themselves that it's going to someone who needs it. But the fact of the matter is, is we have more stuff than we have need for it. So I've been just facing, facing that facing that. I have a love for the good green earth. I have a love for my child who will inherit this earth long after I'm gone. And what what is she inheriting? And it's very confronting to, you know, a lot of us are at home shopping online to feel better. <laughs> I'm giggling because I'm one of them. And so I've been doing, I highlighted this on my Instagram. If you go, to, If you're into Instagram, if you're not into it, don't even worry about it. But I have a little story highlight where I talk about what I'm doing and it's it's not just dumping things. It's I joined a local Buy Nothing Facebook group. This Buy Nothing project is an incredible, incredibly beautiful ethos around the idea of gifting items as opposed to just like dumping them. And I've gotten on Poshmark and ThreadUp and I'm back on eBay and I'm in this place of consciously offloading items I no longer love. And and in the process, I've been participating in secondhand exchanges of clothing and and finding myself slowing down my, my consumption habits as a result of this. And this is a goal of mine is to actually embody a slow, a slow life, a slow living way of life. And um, I am tending to my things a little bit more um, meticulously. And when I am giving something away, whether 
sold it on Poshmark. Like I got rid of all of like my bags I used to bring to the city and I would commute to the city and I'd have my like cute little bag. And it's like, that's not my life. And I like washed them and put leather cleaner on them. And then I put them in a box with like this beautiful tissue paper that I saved from holiday gifts. And I found this like moon sticker that I forgot I had and wrote a little note and put a little feather in there and mailed it off to some woman in Texas and thought, well, this just feels so much better than just, you know, putting it in a bag, throwing it in my trunk and dumping it, you know, in a massive container. So that's where I'm at. Wanted to share that in this time of the quickening. And there's other things too, right? Thinking about my garden, starting to order seeds, finding that seeds are sold out because we're all thinking about our seeds and thinking maybe the past few years, this area of my garden, which is um, an annual area, is usually for cut flowers. And this year I want it to be my dye garden because in this coming too from the fog of postpartum motherhood, I'm starting to have real urges to create again and make with my hands and just go slow. I get about a hundred ideas a day and then I'm pummeled by sleep deprivation and, and just the ability to only do a few things a day. So about one of those slips through and the one that's really slipped through is plant dying. So that might be a little project for this spring, not a project for a day, not a project for a week, not a project for a month, a project for a season, maybe even a year. I have really slowed down in these days. It feels very good to even claim this. But yeah, finding plants that I can grow that can provide natural dye like onions and marigolds and even using foraging natural plants, native plants, that's the word I'm looking for. So we have sour grass growing here in our, my bioregion and finding I can dye with that and maybe with tea. And I have leftover indigo and cochineal from my former life of being a crafty gal. And then I went through my storage or storage utility closet and I found all these like old silks. And I'm thinking, oh, I could make scrunchies or altar cloths. And who knows what I'm going to make? I'm not making any claims here. I'm just saying this is what's starting to quicken in my bones at this time of this returning sun and a feeling of hope and feeling of life. And I literally, my body will not let me sprint as opposed to maybe in past times I would have really hit the ground running, but I've got to move slow. And so that's where I am thinking about conscious consumption in a dye garden (laughs) and maybe cloth diapering, but we'll see about that. In any case today, I've got a really awesome conversation with a really, really cool person named Sarah Faith Godestiner. Maybe you know about her moon book, her many moons workbooks, which I've used for several years and love and talked to her about. She has this new book called The Moon Book, Lunar Magic to Change Your Life, which is out now. She's G-O-T-T-E-S-S-S on Instagram. And um, she makes really amazing art and it's beautiful work with tarot and really brings a perspective to moon work that doesn't feel like super cliche. It feels very, very deep. And her book really goes into that better. And and so the focus of our conversation really is being in a dark moon time or a winter time. I've been talking about this more openly, how I am in a personal winter. I'm not trying to rush spring. It's literally what I just shared with you. 
not trying to rush spring, letting it come slowly and being in what Sarah calls the cauldron of profound transformation and making it okay that you don't know what comes next. So we talk about all sorts of things, disentangling your creations from systems of oppression. Moon work is energy work, becoming stewards of our energy. The moon as a reflector versus the moon as a projector. Being in a dark moon phase, what that means. The sacredness of grief and resisting scarcity mindset, all with the foundation and guidance and beauty of the moon and the sky. The whole moon not just some artwork on our walls, but this, this being in space. How can it guide us? How can it support us? And I just think, how did it guide our ancestors? And how can we bring that, invite that into our life, particularly in dark moon times, times of depression, times of burnout, times of exhaustion, times of feeling unclear and confused and um, unguided. So... I hope you enjoy this conversation. Sarah is incredible and powerful and such a leader in this space. I hope you'll buy her book, The Moon Book, and enjoy. Welcome, Sarah Godestiner, to Belonging. I um, was just sharing with you, and I'm going to share with the world now how just I'm a big fan of yours and I've been very excited about this book that has just come out of yours, the moon book, because I was one of your moon book fans, the workbook. Many moons. Many moons. Yes, I still have them. I'm looking at them right now. Your many moons workbook that really when um, I was remembering the seasonal cyclicality of me and my lineage of being a human being on this animate earth. I just found these workbooks to be just so helpful. And I used to gather with friends at dinners on the full moon and we talk about it and go through them. And so it's just very exciting to be talking to you and celebrating this book that's out in the world. So thank you for all your hard work. Oh, thank you so much. That's so nice to hear. It's always funny. I create so much in a vacuum, right? It's just myself usually. And, you know, because I'm here I am, my computer writing or my notepad writing. And so it's always so nice to hear that the transmissions and the messages were helpful because that's all I want my work to be. So that's really cool. I'm glad. And I'm also really, I'm always really grateful to get to chat with folks who have encountered the work because I'm always just really like curious. I'm always curious to see how folks use the work. I'm curious to see if there's been any fun stories or fun spell outcomes or yeah. you know anything like that. So I'd love to I love to hear if you have any. Oh, yes, great question. I'm I'm remembering. So what's like popping up in my mind? is this scene at my friend Sarah's apartment in San Francisco. And I brought out, I said, oh, I have this book. We were going to have like a, a dinner with friends on the full moon. We were going to like burn some stuff in the backyard. And I pulled out of my bag, your workbook. And then Sarah was like, oh my gosh. And she pulled the workbook out of her bag too. And and it was like this, oh, we both we both work with this workbook. And we had, I, I couldn't tell you, what the moon was in 
many years ago. But we all had this sense that we needed to like talk about relationship. And it ended up being this like deeper conversation about toxic masculinity. And there was some, you're writing, I know it's channeled, it's so powerful, which is why I'm just, it probably took a lot of work to write this book, but I just, that's why I was so excited. I knew it wasn't just going to be this like how to, but it was going to be this like really deep experience of reweaving your relationship with the moon. But I remember there was, under that moon, there was commentary on, I believe, sort of this like under the undercurrent of like toxic, oppressive misogyny. And it led to this conversation I had with these friends that we just hadn't gone there. And since then, that was sort of the moment since then, we just conversations got deeper. You know, it wasn't just like wine drinking and shit talking. It was like a deeper experience where we could talk more intimately. Mm, I love that. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm always, it always warms my heart. So I appreciate that. That's, that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. The book that came out, it came out last month in the United States, and then it will be out in the UK in January. There definitely was a lot of intentions there. And (laughs) there, it was a culmination of basically around a decade of work. So it was meant to be something that one could return to again and again, and one could have as a portable companion and a support system for their life, not just for their lunar work, because the way that I work with the moon is very nonlinear, even within the the moon work itself. It's, it's sort of like a very meta and it's almost like a, it's like a holographic Russian doll in a, in a sense. So, you know, really it's meant, my intention is meant to guide the reader, the encounterer of this work through the different cycles and seasons of their life and their evolution. That's really what the workbooks were meant to do. It's absolutely through the lens of the moon, but the lens of the moon is the lens of change. And the lens of the moon is the lens of moving through, flowing through, accepting, transforming, creating, dying, being, you know, all of the things. Mm-hmm. So it's it's meant to accompany folks wherever they are in their lives, however they are in their lives. So yeah, that was kind of the the concept. And the workbooks, I didn't know why I was doing it. I really got a strong message from spirit, from the moon, whatever you want to call it, it was definitely not me. It, it wasn't something mm. I wanted to do. I never wanted to do this. This was not on my vision board. But it's sort of like by taking a step back or having that distance from the workbooks, I now know kind of what it was about. I mean, it again, it's very holographic. It's very multi-layered. It's basically beyond language anyway, which is why sort mm. of being a writer trying to write about magic and being a writer trying to write about transformation and trying to write about energy and mystery is pretty futile. It's like a fool's errand, right? Um, it's it's difficult, but I do know that so much of the work is just meant to introduce folks to the idea that there's so much more to them than they give themselves credit for. And there's so much more to all of us than 
we sometimes allow ourselves to engage with and see. And it's definitely breaking that spell of scarcity and breaking that spell of abuse and violence Mm -hmm. and domination and power over. That's definitely like a really, really strong intention in the work. Yeah, that it, it works. It's definitely, I I like the way you're talking about it, breaking the spell. For me, it felt like clearing the fog, like the amnesia of whiteness, this sort of sense that I am not a magical being and remembering my connection to all that is the lands I come from the plants, the, and the moon, like this way that there, it is all connected and within me still. And it just feels like the more I deepen into this work, all the work that I do, the more it feels like awakening in me, you know? So there's something about the way you teach in the workbooks and in the moon book that feels like for me, a remembrance, like, oh, of course. Yes. Yep. Yep. Instead of, you know, sort of the way I felt in college, which was like, oh, that's cool. And I feel like less than and powerless and I'm going to do it wrong. There's like an empowerment in the way you share, you know, the way we do the card pulls, the way the way we do the spells, the way it's just the journaling. It's very empowering in that way. So I, I appreciate you in the way, and it's hard to find the words, right? I just, I have a book coming out later this year that I spent all of 2020 writing and it's like, Words are limiting. (laughs) Yeah, words are limiting and words are loaded and words have meaning and words are powerful and words have sometimes an unconscious bias. I mean, it's it's really intense, you know? So like kudos to you for writing a book in in 2020. I was just editing that book, the book I wrote in 2020. And it was that alone was, you know... (laughs) So like, way to go for that, you know? Yeah, thanks. You know, that is the main thing is this, it is this remembering and also just this refusal. For me, a lot of my life was spent like in resistance too. And, you know, as an adult, I'm really understanding that I had to resist a lot for a lot of different reasons. And also I'm much more interested in, like turning away towards like resistance and towards regeneration and creation and visioning and imagining because that's so much of what personally was like stolen from me or like that was so much of what was when you're resisting and when you're trying to defend yourself or if you're trying to defend your existence Or if you're trying to be your own advocate, like in the world or in systems that are maybe not seeing you or that are committed to punishing you or enacting violence or gaslighting you, it just takes a lot of energy. (laughs) You know, that that takes a lot of energy to have to survive. And I'm just sort of trying to, in my own life, I'm really trying to fundamentally reprogram into a sense of focusing my energy and my attention on like creation. Like when we reject certain ways of being and certain systems, we don't have to like, or at least I'll just speak for myself. I'll use the I 
I also then don't have to like hang out in that energy. I get to put my energy and I get to put my awareness and I get to put my creativity and my brilliance into building and into relationships that support another way and another vision. And that's what I've been most like really working with and working towards, you know, it's this idea of enchantment and it's mm-hmm. this idea of like re-enchantment and imagination and not to say that protesting, advocating for other people, like that is all part of it as well. But I don't think like I'm so not interested in staying in the energy of a particular dominant culture, if you know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that feels very poignant and true in this like turning of the Gregorian year of how we can take. I think it's really interesting that you edited the book in 2020. Not that these systems were new, you know, but a lot erupted right in 2020. And um, just taking what you're saying into this place of creation, into this place of not hanging in the dominant culture, like, how was that for you in 2020 editing the book? Mm. Uh, I'm laughing because I feel like 2020 both lasted 90 years and like a blip. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, it was this like weird energy. It was just such a weird energy. It was difficult. I think it's just really difficult to edit your own work. I think it's difficult to know kind of like when to stop or it felt, this is what I'll say. People have been doing magic. People have been collaborating with the moon and the planets and the stars and the earth and spells, you know, for since, since the beginning, Hmm. it feels really potent now, especially, but it also feels really timeless. Like, and I think that's Becca, when you say it's like a remembering, it's like, well, yeah, there was a time where we did live differently. And to be clear, like, I'm not one for glamorizing the past either, right? Because Hmm. I think when we do that, we sort of forget how far we've come in a way because we have come really, really far and we have so much farther to go as well. But it felt, it definitely felt like, yeah, this is going to be a helpful tool to folks. You know, like I do this kind of work because this kind of work saved my life. So I understand that if it saved my life, then, you know, it can help other people in various ways. So I definitely felt like I wasn't like, oh, my God, I need to rewrite the whole thing. (laughs) You know, I was like, yeah, no, this this tracks. This feels appropriate. (laughs) I'm going to stand by the majority of this, right? Yeah, it's maybe it's like just even more deeply affirming of the timelessness of this work. I I feel like maybe we should talk a bit more about the moon since that's what this is all about. Because what I find is the way you talk about it feels, I guess I'm just tired of the cliches. (laughs) Maybe I just like consume so much of the same sort of space content spaces. But when you write about the moon, I feel like more deeply enlightened and comforted by the way you talk about it. So I'm wondering if you can share, I know you talk about the moon being a mirror. The moon is for everybody. The moon is our ancestors. There's, if you can share what feels true in this moment about, about the moon for people who are listening, who may not have 
a regular practice with the moon. Yeah. I'm, can I ask like, what are, what are the cliches? I'm so curious. Oh yeah. That I, yeah. Hmm. Is it that it's like, okay. Like what a wild full moon. Like that's it. Oh, like, like how people kind of act like they're afraid of it or the moon is this like malevolent kind of emotional force. Yeah. Or like, there's no deeper context there, you know, or it's, um, it's just like uh, witchy chic hashtag witchy chic with like out uh, without a deeper understanding of like, where is the moon in the sky? And like, I don't know, it, it almost feels like play to me. This could be like a projection thing, but it just, I, you bring like a deeper, there's a deeper reverence in the way, like, it's like, yeah, <laughs> the way you talk about it being like in space, you know, it's not just like this thing on your wall, you know, like it's a being in space. Even that I'm like, oh, I appreciate it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, right? It's our... It totally is. Very far away from us. It's, But it's still closer than any of the other planets. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, it's, you know, for me, I, this is, I mean, this is what I feel called to talk about. I feel called to talk about two things and then we can go from there and you can chime in with whatever you'd like because I'd love to hear your take. The first thing I just want to talk about with the moon well, maybe it's three things. I'm going to try to, I'm going to do. First, I just really want to talk about is energy because there's this connection to light and the moon and our energy. There is this connection to growth cycles and the moon and our energy. There is this connection to the dynamism of energy, meaning energy is not static. We're not always feeling great. We're not always feeling bad. We ebb and we flow dependent on so many different things happening, both with nature, both with light, both with the season and our relationship with all of these things, right? Whatever's happening in our life, what time of day it is, what happened the day before, what's going on in the news. There's more and more 9 million trillion influences on our energy. And so that is something I really want to call to attention for all of us in 2021 and always, which is, you know, our energy is really, really priceless. Our Mm -hmm. energy is precious. And I want to say this as someone who has, I have a serious illness. I have a genetic mutation in the leukemia family that very much affects my energy. Like I'm fatigued much of the time and I'm in chronic pain much of the time. So I just want to lay that out for folks who have complicated relationships with their energy, with their bodies, with their life force. But I think it's really important, no matter what level of able-bodiedness you are or what body you're in, I think it's very, very important for us to take stock of what our energy is telling us how we can become stewards and caretakers of our energy, how we know what energy is ours and what energy is someone else's, energetic hygiene, and on and on and on. And the moon is this reflection because we're talking about light being, you know, it's the reflector of the sun. We're talking about water. We all are made up of water that impacts us. Some people think it's astrology. They think it's like whatever, you know, 
sign the moon is in or whatever your moon sign is in, whatever works for you to help track and manage your energy to think about when you feel the best seasonally, whatever the lunar phase is in, you know, there's that aspect and the moon can really help us with that. The moon can help us realize, oh, okay, I feel great for three days and then tired for two days. Or when we're tracking our energy, we can really notice, oh, I feel really bad when I'm scrolling on the news for an hour or whatever that is. Again, I'm not saying don't be aware of what's happening. I'm just saying we need to be really mindful of our energy. And the moon is a reminder of that very naturally because the moon helps plants grow. The moon moves the water in the earth, the tides, all of the water in the earth and all of the water inside of us. Hmm. The other thing I want to talk about is this moon as a reflector or a projector? Because the moon is also very much tied to our subconscious, our water, the parts of us that sometimes we feel like we can't control, the parts of us that feel wild, our intuition, our inner child, our ancestral connections, all of the above. And I think that the moon becomes this, not to get too rude about it, but the moon can be a stand-in for what we don't like about our feelings. Or the Mm. moon can be a stand-in for what's coming up for us in our lives that it might be time to look at and unpack. So I feel like, you know, if there if it's like a full moon and someone's like, oh my God, F this full moon, I'm so tired or F this full moon, I got into a fight with my boyfriend or whatever. Like, babes, it's not the moon. The moon is bringing up the subconscious. The moon is bringing up our water in our bodies, reminding us that we're human, reminding us that there's some things that maybe we can look at, you know, and they could be positive or negative. If you keep having a reoccurring dream of you moving to a different place, a place that feels much more in alignment with how you want to feel or what you want to look at every day, the moon could be bringing that up as well, you know, so it, it tends to bring up, especially when it is in my humble experience, but this is different for every single human and animal and plant. But it tends to bring up our stuff at the full moon. It's the greatest projector, the greatest reflector, and also at the dark moon, just before Mm -hmm. it's new. It's this underworld plunge, as it were, this kind of purging or this sight. I call sometimes the dark moon the scene of the crime, like where we Mm -hmm. go back to that which created the trauma or created the unfortunate subconscious belief, or the dark moon is also this invitation into what is the next stage of our evolution or, or identity or our energy. And with that often comes a lot of reckoning. And with that reckoning often comes a lot of grief. You know, I just like didn't know about the dark moon period. I just skipped over it. I was just like, you wane and then you're new. And that just felt like such a mirror for like the process, like creative processes of growth of like needing of needing that dark period, that fallow period, maybe the period of confusion before newness comes again. But I, I was confusing the dark moon and the new moon for a long time. 
And then it came to me and I now actually feel a more deeper spiritual ritual connection in the dark moon times than in the new moon times for whatever reason. The dark moon is my jam. Like, Is it? Oh, yeah. Oh, I was born during a dark moon. Not that, again, for me, that means something. For someone else, that might not mean anything. But I, I feel very much like a dark moon personality. And it's funny that you say this, Becca, because I always was like, yeah, dark moon, burn it down, cry, like reimagine, revision, or just rest. Like the dark moon often, it often reflects a time in our lives where we're just so exhausted that we, sometimes it is synonymous with periods of like depression or illness where we literally mm-hmm. just have to lay and we just have to rest. Mm-hmm. And do nothing else. But it's really funny because it's not funny, but it's it's ironic. That's the word, you know, so I've taught this stuff for a really long time, along with any number of other things. And I'm always like, yeah, the dark moon's amazing. The one of the things that I teach is that we're generally in a particular kind of phase, not to match the actual lunar phase, but more like an archetype. So like, I always use this analogy, like you might be in a waxing moon phase when you're working really hard in your business or in your career, or you're like planning a graduation party, or you're looking for another house to move into. You're like very involved with the external world, very involved with your consciousness, very involved with your actions and your schedules and growth and all these things. That's very Uh, That's a typical traditional alignment. So I was in a dark moon phase. I'm in a dark moon phase right now. And I've been in a dark moon phase for like a year and a half. (laughs) (laughs) And it's been so hard. And I teach this stuff. (laughs) And for whatever reason, this one, I mean, I know why it's so hard. It's because I have to say goodbye to some aspects of my identity And it's because I have this feeling that whatever cycle I'm stepping into next is going to be cool. (laughs) It's like, it's going to, but I don't know what it is yet. So I've been in this liminal period of like grieving and mourning and also like kicking and screaming and resisting it. And it's really annoying because I had to listen to what I teach and and actually apply it. And, And part of what I teach is when we're in this phase, we have to truly practice surrender. And we have to truly admit that we don't know, like that we don't know. And we're not supposed to know right now. And we're going to have we have to be comfortable with that unknown and with that mystery. And it's really true. When I started doing that, I became much more comfortable with being in this phase, I was able to rest more and more profoundly, like I was able to embody rest. And now I feel like at peace knowing that in fact, yeah, there's going to be a new cycle coming for me in the spring. And I can look forward to it instead of resisting and kind of pushing it away and kicking and screaming. But it's funny, because like, it's sort of similar to a magical practice or a tarot practice or a writing practice, any kind of meaningful work that we do that engages all of our senses and engages all of our consciousness levels. Every time you go around to it in a different way, 
it's a different experience, like watching a movie you love a year later or something. You're like, wait a minute, I don't, my engagement with it's so different. Like in the past, I've had dark moon periods that might have just lasted a couple months. And I've been like, yeah, burn it down. Like I'm stepping into the flames, you know, like I'm like, woo, like I'm very like, yeah, I'm going to like, you know, tower this shit and step into the star. And I've been really comfortable with it. And there was something about this one that was very prolonged. And it was, there was a ton of grief. It was also, there was a ton of painful situations in my life and a ton of loss and a ton of like having to do a lot of healing work that accompanied it, which made it kind of so long. But now, now that I'm sort of seeing the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel, I can say I'm grateful for it. I'd imagine it's a challenge to launch a book in a dark moon phase. Oh yeah, baby. My, my launch was so mellow. I was like, I, I, cause that's the other thing that I teach is like, you have to know where you're at in order to plan accordingly and in order to support yourself. So, and it's a pandemic, right? Yeah. And, you know, we're reminded of that every day. So yeah, my launch was very mellow. Like I wasn't going to do a ton of events. I felt very sensitive about asking people to do things for me. In a, at the end of a pandemic year, my, my book came out in December. I felt very sensitive to my own energetic levels. Uh, my book came out at the exact busiest year of my business, of course, because that's how these things happen when they're mm-hmm. out of your hands, uh, you know, because I was working with a publisher. So in the book, the, the pandemic affected the book so that it changed dates three times. It was supposed to come out in the spring originally. Which I'm actually glad it didn't, you know, like I'm glad it came out when it did, because that's part of, again, just accepting whatever is happening. But, you know, part of the grief of the dark moon phase was releasing this book and knowing like that this particular phase of my life was over. So now Mm -hmm. that the book is out, I just feel very relieved, honestly. So it actually feels really good. So, but yeah, like if I, if I was feeling like I had a lot more energy or I was in a different phase in my life, the launch and the situation around it and the energy and the effort that I brought to it, it would have been a lot different. Mm, The energy I get from you as you speak about this is someone who just like really trusts that, that lunar rhythmic cyclical process and commits to it. And it's, it's really nice to hear as I prepare for my own book launch in the fall, I to a minute dark moon phase, or I would, I usually use seasonal archetypes, so like a winter, mm-hmm. as I just gave birth. I just gave birth at the end of August and ener- talk about energy <laughs> capacity is just completely different. And I'm going through a pretty profound identity shift transformation and, and figuring out who I am. And yeah, my book also feels like a completion ritual, a completion spell of like a time when I was waxing for a long time, you know, building my business. And I know you talk so openly about running your business too. Um, So your words, I feel like I could have said some of them in my own way. And it's, it's nice to, it's just nice to hear your words and feel where I am in that, in, in the cycle of things as well. And that's what I hope for people listening to think about and, and hopefully get the book is to think about where they are in the cycles, you know, archetypally in the cycle of the moon as it is in the sky in your day, in every moment. And to not think, I know it's taken me years to unlearn that, that I need to be 
at max capacity all the time, you know, that that's actually a super damaging, oppressive identity that, that I, I don't have to opt into anymore. And the moon has been so helpful with that. Yeah. And it's, it's not natural. No. And, and again, everyone has different energetic levels. I have friends who, you know, run five miles a day and they're always, you know, but so I, I want to honor where everyone is, but it's, it's just simply not natural. Our, our bodies, we're cyclical creatures, like we're, we are of nature. So we have to honor where we are and not push it away. I think maybe someone listening to me, hearing me talk about this might be like, is she okay? You know, like, (laughs) right. I'm all like talking about grief and not having a lot of energy and all this stuff, but like, I'm fine. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm fine. And I'm just, I'm just acknowledging where I'm at. And when we acknowledge where we're at, like, if you're like, I feel great, like I am new moon, I'm, I'm waxing, you know, I'm full moon, I've got, I've hit my stride. Uh, That's great. Like work with that energy, work with where you are. I like similar to you, Becca, I was waxing for years, like Mm -hmm. happily. And then I wasn't. And I was like, okay. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing. We don't have to associate one phase with good and one with bad. Because like what I'm learning now is going to help me in in my next phase and like so on and so forth. So it's all good or it's it all is what it is, I'll just say. Hmm. Yeah. And there's there's something in embracing our cyclical nature and and looking to the moon to like sort of remind us and guide us in that way that really helps me unlearn scarcity like there's something about slowing down and embracing like for instance this dark moon period I'm in where I just have this like belief that I'm in the long game like life is short but life is also long and that like right now I am where I am and I I there is like a past Becca who would want to move quicker, move out of it. And that just felt like urgent and scarce and anxious. And there's something about embracing and maybe it's growing older. I'm not sure, but there's just this, this deeper trust in, in the movement, in the, in the seasonality and the cyclicality of it that feels like a comfort. Like when you said, some people might ask, are you okay? I'm like, oh, I'm deeply comforted by you talking openly about your grief and about what you need in your capacity and your energy and where you are in your, with your body. And maybe that's like the mirroring. Like I'm like, oh yeah, cause I'm there too. And it's, it's, um, it's like a big sigh of relief. Yeah. It's like, it's both uncomfortable, but it's also is a relief to be like, okay, this is what I can do right now. This is what I must do. I must rest. I must dream. I must let myself feel my feelings. I must acknowledge that I am in the cauldron of a state of profound transformation and that it's okay if I don't know. It's okay that I don't know when it's going to end. It's okay Mm. that I don't know who I'm going to be, even though maybe I can see her waving, you know, to me, like off in the distance. And that also feels very comforting. And, you know, I just want to pick up the thread of what you said about scarcity. Mm -hmm. Because 
resting or slowing down or taking breaks. I mean, number one, obviously I have to name my privilege, right? It's a privilege Mm -hmm. that, I mean, I don't have children and I have, I have dogs. They are not children, but you know, I have myself, my partner, I'm not a very large caretaker, although my work includes caretaking, like my work in the world. So I am Mm -hmm. actually in a different kind of way. Mm -hmm. So I just want to name like the privilege that, that we even have to be speaking about rest. Yeah. I also want to normalize talking about rest or I want to normalize talking about not knowing um, or being confused or dealing with grief. Because I think like number one in the so-called United States of America, the fact that we are in a pandemic and our culture is not supporting us Mm -hmm. in that pandemic is this is, we're talking about violence. The fact that it's normalized is violent. The fact that people are working, you know, like, so my partner is a nurse. He's an ICU nurse at a respiratory hospital treating COVID patients, you know? And so it's like, he has never worked harder in his life, right? His, His colleagues, you know, everyone in healthcare, everyone who work in grocery stores, everyone who's in the gig economy, like delivering takeout, like, all of those people, I am sure, are like profoundly at the brink, you know, mm-hmm. of energy and of fear and anxiety. And I mean, I mean, I could go on and on about the pandemic. I'm not going to. We all know what's happening. But what I'm getting at is like the fact that we haven't as a culture been able to acknowledge our grief, the fact that as a culture, many of us, I mean, all of us have had to work through it. You know, we've all had to show up, pay the bills, keep going in the unknown. It it's so unnatural. It's it's very violent. And the fact that this is where sort of the sacredness of grief comes in because we have to have space to be able to process our grief. We have to normalize discussions of loss and of anger and of rage and of the unfairness of what is happening. You know, but because we live in this scarcity culture, we're taught that that's not okay. When in fact, it's very natural. It's natural to be feeling rage and grief and depression and um, burnout and exhaustion and all of these things right now in our culture. And I just think it's, and then like talking about scarcity, you know, like just thinking about the fact that capitalism, our government, would like rather kill us than let us rest and be safe. Yeah. It's just absolutely demonic, you know, as, Mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned and, and to kind of bring it back to what we were talking about in terms of like honoring where we are. I mean, I think that what we can do on an individual level is obviously like support people who need the most support, and also normalize conversations around rest and, you know, like productivity. What even is that? You know, right now our productivity is being designed by algorithms and robots. Mm-hmm. You know, like who cares if I'm not super productive? It's a pandemic. Who cares if I'm not super productive for years? You know, mm-hmm. it's super ableist. What about the people who don't work because they have an illness or because they're disabled? Like, I just think we need to start having these 
dark moon conversations, you know, mm-hmm. um, and normalize them more because it underlies the culture of scarcity when everything has to be like business as usual and, and measured by our productivity or, you know, all of these things when life just isn't like that. Like it's such cognitive dissonance, right? Like mm-hmm. it has to be like, oh, I have to log into my Slack channel at work or like, oh, I have to respond to this email like about nothing, you know, or whatever. I'm not saying it's about, but you know, like it's like in our culture, our priorities are just, there's this real cognitive dissonance that we've been seeing our entire lives, but 2020 has just really underlined. Yeah. The distortion is illuminated. I, yeah. And I love that it's us having this dark moon conversations. Like I'm having these conversations daily. I'm here for these conversations and it's always been there, but there's something about this time. Yeah. Where I'm just like, okay, this is the conversation (laughs) for me. This is the conversation. Yeah. I mean, it all starts with like conversations and people just acknowledging and naming what's there. And unfortunately, like a lot of folks, for whatever reason, aren't, aren't doing that. Yeah. That makes me feel sad and frustrated. That makes me feel really sad and frustrated thinking about that. But I do think people are, I mean, I think more than ever, in my lifetime at least, more people than ever are acknowledging the, yes. you know, the limitations of the current system, which is a system of scarcity. Like in this, in this way, capitalism and uber productivity and hyper materialism and over consumption is a culture of scarcity. Yes. Because it's like a culture of distraction, of competition of hierarchy, when like, if we're bringing it back to the remembering, if we remember who we are, and some of that, like you said, Becca is as white people divesting from whiteness, Mm -hmm. unraveling our complicity, moving towards different relationships with ourself, probably spiritual. And I define spiritual very loosely, like spiritual could be just you coming home to yourself or some of your gifts or acknowledging what a lot of your pleasures are and making more time for that. You know, it doesn't have to be praying or honoring deities or anything like that. It just is more of an embodied and conscious experience of your life. And it's acknowledging the sacredness of your life and the sacredness of all life, including plants and animals and the earth. But to me, that is one definition of abundance. Is that what you think as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I just always come at it from like, what has been my experience without trying to project that on everyone else's? And it's it's really like my emotions are really sort of guide me there. And I just, it's about questioning like the belief within mm-hmm. that. And I actually, to bring in the moon find that like the emotional ebb and flow with the moon cycle helps me ask those questions. So I think this is where I like the way you go deeper than the cliche of just like, it's a full moon, like get naked by the fire, which I'm really into as well. But it's like, what, like what is like being pulled up, you know, and this like emotional period, like a recent full moon. I had these 
amazing conversations all over text because it's pandemic, where we were all sort of feeling a similar rage, <laughs> a similar rage. And some people were like, oh, it was like in a space of like feeling like a victim of the system and other people's it was feeling like a, a loneliness in this. And it created this deeper conversation of like, what are our beliefs around? Like what what's underneath this? Mm-hmm. And in that way, I felt the abundance there. You know yeah. what I mean? The scarcity is in like believing, <laughs> believing the lie uh, yeah. and, and not seeing the gift of the rage and what's beneath it, the riches. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anger and rage are really useful emotions because they show us when our boundaries have been crossed. They often point to what we care about, like most deeply, you know, they're this like beautiful compass, uncomfortable compasses. But they, to me, they're very, like, they're very clear. (laughs) Like they're some of the more clear emotions, at least in my own life, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, they've served me really well in certain situations, knowing when my boundaries have been crossed or getting me into a more comfortable zone with that which I desire or that which I care about. And, you know, I, I think that like going back to what I was talking about earlier about not, not simply just wanting to resist. It's like our emotions can also be this guidepost to go further than the resistance, right? Because if we stay in the space of I'm lonely forever, we'll stay lonely forever or we'll Mm -hmm. think we're lonely forever. But if that loneliness then becomes a tool to guide us into that which we desire, which is connection, then we're going past that surface. We're going past that just, oh, I'm resisting it or, oh, I'm just this one thing. The loneliness can show us where we need to have more intimacy with ourselves or more compassion with ourselves or, you know, like I love the term balancing actions. So the loneliness can show us like where we need to reach out to someone else and connect to someone else because chances are, I mean, even before the pandemic, this was true, but like, if you're lonely, chances are someone, you know, is also feeling lonely, you know, Mm -hmm. reaching out to that person and just checking in and having conversations when you get off that phone in general, you don't feel as lonely, you feel connected. And that, that to me is like, that's abundance. And that's like, that's creation energy. And that's, going beyond, you know, whatever kind of limitation that we think our emotions are when really they're guideposts into deeper ways of meeting our own needs and feeling interconnected in the world. Yes, absolutely. Now more than ever, at least for me. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it feels like for me, deeply spiritual work and important. Yeah. Yeah. I believe, I believe this is like all spiritual work. It's not like it's, we're at this place where, I mean, I also, I've been thinking about this and talking about this so much. So bear with me, but in numerology, we're in a five year, which is a hierophant year. And one of the lessons I think of this year is going to be that our spirituality, I mean, it's really what the sages and the mystics and the Buddhist teachers and the witches and the shamans have been teaching for millennia, but that is, we're not separate from our spirituality. Like we might go on the mat, but what we are learning on the mat 
is what we take into our everyday life. Like that is the, that is one of the points. I mean, one of the points of spirituality, I feel like is literally just to help us stay here, like, uh, you know, stay here on the planet, but also it helps us bring our awakenings or our enlightenment or our brushes with the divine, our brushes with the sacred into the rest of our lives, right? Because the rest of our lives is, is where we need it and where we can benefit from it and where other people can benefit from it. So I think that this year, 2021 is going to, I think there are a lot of actually really beautiful possibilities. I'm cautiously optimistic. And also I think it's going to continue to be just as intense as Mm -hmm. 2020 was quite honestly. Yeah. So, so let's take good care of ourselves and each other and stay connected. That's what, that's like the, we're only a few days when we're recording this, we're only a few days into 2021. And that's like my primary just come through. It's like, let's just take good care and stay connected with each other as we navigate this. Let's stay connected to ourselves. Yes. You know? Yes, absolutely. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. This has been such a rich and, and powerful dark moon conversation. I so appreciate it. The book, I'm going to hype it for you. The book, The Moon Book, Lunar Magic to Change Your Life by Sarah Faith Godesiner is out. And try not to buy it on Amazon, but definitely buy it. It's really beautiful, powerful that you can have in your life, you know, for more than just 2021 to guide you through it. Um, You also have a podcast called Moonbeaming, which is really wonderful listen and is there any anything else we can share that you'd like people to direct themselves to Mm, no i i think you got it i have have, my book is out you can buy it wherever books are sold i have a newsletter you can hop on that's where i share when i'm teaching i'm i'll be teaching in january in february i'm actually teaching a dark moon class called honoring the dark moon Oh, perfect. Yes, right. For, you know, I didn't, it's when you were speaking, I was like, that's funny. It's really been on my mind as I'm like closing out this last kind of, or I'm closing out this phase I'm in. So I'm really appreciating it. Yeah. And I'll just continue to be teaching and writing newsletters and probably, probably coming out with at least one other book in 2021, maybe even like two. So as you're connected and on my newsletter, you will be able to find out what's going on. And I just want to, you know, say thank you, Becca, for being so honest in all your sharings and being Mm -hmm. so open and for creating such beautiful space for other people to share themselves. Oh, wow. Thank you. That means a lot to me. It's such a pleasure to be in voice space with you after reading your words for so many years. So what a, what a treat, what a treat. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. I know your time is sacred and the fact that you spent it with me talking about belonging means a lot. If you want to access show notes or links to old episodes, check out belongingpodcast.com. And if you know a friend who could really benefit from listening to this episode, share it with them. I'll talk to you soon.